So we're not recording a full episode today, but we have some shit to say about this upcoming pandemic. So we decided to do a little extra. Right, because there's a lot going on. And there is. this doesn't really fit into our regular schedule, but since it's all anyone can talk about, <laughs> we thought it's time for us to talk about it. Yeah. So we're going to start with a little story. I just heard this story actually on um, Post Reports. The story comes from the 17th century. There was a little village in the north of England that had bubonic plague. They'd, they'd gotten a shipment of some blankets, and the person who opened the box got bubonic plague. He died like within a week of opening the box, and they realized the plague was moving through this village very quickly. So the village got together, the whole village got together, and made a choice. They realized that the plague could move to all of the surrounding villages. They were actually a stop on a, a regular pathway, a trade pathway, and people stopped there often. So they agreed together. They actually said to each other, it is likely, plague is here, it's likely a lot of us are going to die. Right? The statistics in Europe were a third. A lot of us are going to die. That's already happening. We're, that, that moment passed. The best we can do right now is make sure nobody else gets it. And so they quarantined the whole village. They self-quarantined. They put rocks around the village and said, nobody's going to come here. And people left food for them. But what's really cool about the whole idea for me, the reason I love that story, is that it's such a, a choice of courage and bravery when things are so scary. And I'm watching. I mean, we're in New York, and there really aren't, in the city, there aren't that many cases. But I live in Westchester, and there are a lot of cases, and there are cases in my town. And I can see the anxiety really increasing. So what, I, what I'm loving about this story is this feeling of what happens when communities make choices to protect people and the difference between making choices that are fear-based and completely personal, like what's best for me and my family and I need to get the hell out of here, or what's best for the larger community. For me, when, it, when we're sort of thinking about, you know, where's the, the spiritual center in a pandemic, that's the spiritual center. Right, it's the privileging of community over self. Right. Right, the collective right. good. Um, and I think it's been interesting to consider the language that we're all using around the pandemic, right, and sort of the visions that we all have. I was joking with you and Amy, our producer, <laughs> last week about these visions of, like, the Decameron that I'm having, where, like, all the rich people go into the country to survive the plague, right? Right. Um, and so I think that there's, we've had a lot of language around like, well, it's only affecting old people or people with underlying conditions. Right, like or that's where we find our safety. Right. <laughs> right. And we're sort of talking about it not as how do we help protect all of the right. vulnerable among us, but as if the vulnerable were disposable. Right. right. And so if we right. start it's to okay consider. It's okay because only old people will get it. Right. <laughs> only sick people will get and it. And it's, it, if we start to consider all of us as all of us and how do we keep everyone safe right. right it's not by letting folks with money get all the supplies and run away it's not by shutting schools so that children have nothing to eat if they live with food insecurity it's not right there's lots of things that measuring the common good is challenging but mm. that's exactly where we find an ethical and spiritual response to something like this right um all right well because there's such a, 
we live in a society that privileges the individual and privileges individuals with money and health. And this is really a calling back to privileging community and privileging the marginalized and the vulnerable so that we're not doing what's best for the, the healthy, we're doing what's best for the sick. And so we're, n- I'm, I want to clarify that, like, we're not at the moment advocating that everybody, like, self-quarantine immediately. No, no, right? no. Like, we're not. <laughs> but the point of that story is, what would it look like if all of us lived that way, right? right. Lived with the good of everyone in right. mind, not just how can I best protect. So how would we share resources? How are we marshalling? And we're talking about this on the congregational level, right? How do we take our, our folks who are most resistant and most healthy mm-hmm. and deploy them to ensure the safety, the comfort, right. the support, and also the connection of people who will end up self-quarantined right. or will end up with the virus, right? right. Um, and figuring that out, right? How to prepare food stores, how to prepare supplies so right. that we've got that to share with each other in healthy and safe ways, right. as opposed to... How do I prepare my closet so that I'm going to be okay? Right, right. And the idea that, like, Costco is sold out of toilet paper. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> which is, you know, but there's something about being told, you know, yeah. be prepared to be trapped in your house. And so yeah. everybody feeling like they have to stock up on everything, which would be different if there were villages, right? If just your neighborhood were to say, right. we, we are going to have enough and we will all share. So we don't have to no one has to sell out and everyone right. has access. Right. Right. There's no hand soap and there's no sanitizer anywhere because everybody has just gone, you know, overboard. But that doesn't consider the possibility of the people outside of your immediate circle. Right. Yeah, I've actually thought about this. So I live on a small island um, right. in the middle of New York City and I've actually thought about what it would look like if our island quarantined right like like your story of the village right like what would it look like if our island quarantined and understood itself as as that kind of village community that would share resources right so that it wasn't I have to have all the toilet paper so that my neighbor doesn't have it but but that we all and it's a big I mean there's like 10,000 people it's not the same size as many small towns in America but like what if our 10,000 person island understood itself as a community deeply enough, and it, I don't think right. it does at the moment, but deeply enough to be like, when we quarantine, we quarantine together and mm-hmm. we figure it out together, right? right. Um, but this is really, it really pushes the bounds of where we are, I think, as a culture, actually, to ask this. This is not right. native to our American right. Western culture anymore. But it's such a great trial run, I think, I know, for, for the climate apop- change. <laughs> right. The apocalypse because I mean, that's what we keep saying. We have a choice of two worlds. We have a choice where everyone buys everything they can possibly get for themselves, which is, you know, just extending the problem. Or we have a choice of a world where people are really, we get hyper-local and people yeah. are sharing resources and they you start know, considering life in a very, in a much smaller and more simple way. I actually, so I, I, I want to preface this by saying that I think that um, we all should be concerned. We should be planning. We should be figuring out how to handle this particular epidemic. I'm, I, what I'm going to say now, <laughs> I don't want to devalue that truth by what I'm going to say now, um, but it's been interesting to consider the this particular epidemic in the larger sort of context of the history of existence and, and sort of these ways that we have these waves of... Um, 
challenge that we can either rise to or allow us allow to sort of beat us back right so your point that like this is a moment of trial right like we can either rise to this and change certain things that are actually going to be helpfully impactful in terms of climate change in terms of all sorts of threats that are bound to come down the line or we can sort of go the other direction and that's there have been so many moments across history where that has presented itself right um how we react to this will determine how we react to other things. Right. Um, Get a little glimpse. Yeah. Yeah. It's not pretty. (laughs) No, but it could be, but it really, really could be, right? Well, it really could be. And there are definitely pockets of of hope. And we're not talking about hope. Like, we're not doing our little moment of hope. No. But if (laughs) if we were, we might pay attention to, I mean, you know, you and I are in congregations, so we're watching it. But the question in congregations, every congregation I know, the question is, how do we take care of the most vulnerable in the community? And we are these little, you know, kind of microcosms. It's possible to be asking those questions and then to determine your behavior based on what the most vulnerable need. And congregations and small communities become real models for living for us into the future. Right. So in a world filled with anxiety, <laughs> we can There's choose a different way. Hope, right? Yeah, you can choose to be. I think anxiety is like the the place we don't want to go, right? right. You're in anxiety. You want to go to like caution, like yes. optimistic caution, right? Right. Prepared, <laughs> hopeful, preparedness. <laughs> like we can come up with as many two two word phrases as we want to capture right. that, right? But like that's what it is. It's like don't like take it seriously. Yeah. But take it seriously in its larger context, which allows us to think about who we want to be and how we want to be. Right. Right. 